0: Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy. Discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. All right.
1: Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today?
2: I'm great. How are you, Randy?
1: I'm doing good, uh, having a little bit of smoke here in our area, so navigating that, but for the most part, doing really well.
2: Yeah, that smoke is crazy. You know, I was in Portland moving out, and I left, so for those of you who don't know, I live full-time in Hawaii now, which is super exciting, but uh, I left Portland the day before all the smoke came in, so I avoided all of it. Uh, It's just crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Uh, It's definitely thicker than I have ever seen here in Seattle. And we're basically indoors because the the air quality is so bad and we don't know when it's going to end. At least we have a a few more days, the forecast says, but they said it was supposed to end a few days ago. So I don't know, but interesting times we're in for sure. Right.
2: Very interesting times. So, um, Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about today's guest, um, which is really exciting to me. So we interviewed Crazy John Brooks before he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, but since then he's been inducted. And so it's super exciting that we have another Hall of Famer on our interview list. But I just want to say to Crazy, congratulations on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, just you've been a great inspiration and so exciting to to have you on the show and to hear from you and uh, all that you've done for the sport. So congratulations.
1: Yeah, I echo all of that. He's truly a hall of famer, and uh, we're going to start this episode with me rating the Velasquez brothers.
0: They were the gold standard. The gold standard. Yes, the gold yeah, standard. Flashback uh, with loving the the Vibros. I remember at the '82 WFC uh, first year that they had left the Rose Bowl. Bittersweet, but they moved it to Rutgers, mm-hmm. uh, New Jersey, Rutgers University, and uh, Papa Jack Rodick. Stork's father is, uh, you know, a perennial overall competitor. Him and Steady used to go at it hard, hard and heavy. And, uh, and I think they're, they were the only two players in the division for a while. So Steady, there was no way Steady was going to freestyle at this particular time in his career. But J- Papa Jack, he's all about it. Let's go. What do you want to do? Oh, he's going to jam. So I hear Stork, hey, listen, my dad was looking for you. And then he's Papa Jack. He says, hey, Crazy John, Papa Jack, listen. What do you think about freestyling together? I was like, well, I, you know, I'm playing with Hal and Neil. And uh, he goes, no, me, I'm playing. I'm playing tomorrow, you know, one o'clock seniors. So I was like, uh, man, sure. I'll just, you know, just throw for you. He goes, well, you know, do what you want, but I just thought you'd want to play with me. How about it? So I agreed. And then in 24 hours, we totally turned this thing into a big V-Bro spoof. So we got us some black leotards and we got us some as short as we could you know comfortably go with shorts and i'm telling you that baba jack roddy and i parodied the the v Rose routine with the uh earth wind and fire right (laughs) man and he won yes i think uh you know got his got his overall points i can just picture you guys dressed up with the wrestling outfits
2: (laughs) yeah sponsored
0: sponsored by advil and icy hot
1: yeah, you know, not many people sported those unitards. I think maybe Kirkland and Donnie Rhodes did one year in the white unitards. And the yeah. B bros could really rock it though. They could really rock those.
0: Yeah. The white oneie. Yeah, it was questionable. <laughs> I'm one of the people that shouldn't have even gone into the store that sells those things. <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh my I'm, God. I'm guilty of the dance skin and I'm wanting to take advantage of wealth. If it makes you dance like that, I'm going to wear it. <laughs> 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 and then uh, so, if you're, so if I just spend this $27 on these puffy maroon pants and these leg warmers for another 21 and this leotard is $41 for everything. So this $91 and I'll be able to do that up there on that poster. Works. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll take it.
1: Can you it in one bag, please? Oh gosh, that's hilarious. So let's let's go back. Uh we to go back to the Bud Light teams. And so I know a lot of the folks, especially uh the current players, they think of the Bud Light team as you know, you and Joey and Chip. I mean, that's where a lot of the footage that people have seen. And so could you talk about how that came about? I know you met Chipper Bro in Santa Barbara, but Just kind of talk about how that team evolved and and what that experience was like.
0: Uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, Chip, now Chip and I met at some like tournaments. I think we met in Santa Cruz, an old world disc. And then uh, at the winter time, that was a regular for me back then, even though I was living in Kansas City. But Chip. You know, it started with a friendship. It's kind of neat. We didn't play. We didn't jam together and go, "Wow, that was great. We should start a team." It was just I was just honestly impressed and and just you know was touched by his spirit. Many of us have have been. So, we, Hal and I gave Chip the call in April of '84. Took him down to Amarillo the next month, and it worked out fine. And uh, ended up making a real good friendship too with these people over the years. The Dawson brothers and uh, Bud Co. We immediately started working on, you know, a routine to get our, you know, to back everything up. You got to have that to fall, fall back on. And uh, yeah, we already knew that they were the world champs, Chip and Joe. So, but uh, I didn't know any more than what Chip had told me. So I didn't know about all the, who belongs to this and that. I was just going, Chip, I think you'd be great for the job. So, but I understand later that, you know, it did take some talking to going over with uh Chip and Joey about the things, but I'm glad they worked it out and ultimately get back together again. It took about a year for Chip and I to get, uh, you know, got him trained. He was not used to a lot of the demands of this particular line, uh, as far as maybe performing and some different of uh, those type ropes. But uh, he learned quick, and uh, our friendship, of course, is at the speed of speed of love, and uh, he. Was with it before the year was over, he was asking, you know, we need to get a third because it'll fit, you know, it'll get us into more competition rounds. Part of our, you know, part of our goal was to get some of that bonus money, you know, uh, from Anheuser Busch for the majors, just hungry for that more frisbee. We bring Joe in, it'll be even more.
2: Can you talk a little bit more about the bonus money? I've not heard that before. It's just standard
0: performance, uh, based,
2: you know, incentives. So Budweiser is giving a bonus to your team if you do well at a competition. And
0: Uh, Ezra Bush. Well, would pay, yeah. uh, The U.S. Open, the World Championships, yeah, those paid very nice bonuses. Our daily rate was more than a team check sometimes, you know, a solo rate. So we we were doing fine as far as that goes, and it was set up to do this also. It wasn't set up to get as much as we can for as little as possible. It was to do the most as possible to get as much as possible. We didn't, it was, there was no, and there was no funny business at all. I mean, we're doing the thing that we love and we just want to do it better. So that's what I liked about, you know, Chip was really concerned with the the spiritual side of things. You know, it, I think Chip's play was, I want to say his care, his like nurturing, that's what he would do for me. He would nurture me. He would help me. I, it was really stressful a lot of the time uh, on my end with the business end. I, mean, I did all that front front end stuff myself. But uh, when we just get to play, then, you know, hey, man, now I can feel the breeze. I feel a little sun. And, and that's what, you know, that's what Chip and Joe ended up being for me is my sunshine and my, my breath, my, oh, yeah, finally together. So because we had to go through a lot of bad. It was plenty of bad. There was plenty of, I should call it rough, difficult, um, yeah. unfamiliar, not fun. Shouldn't say bad, really, because we were blessed to be there. Sure.
1: Well, I mean, the three of you were considered, you know, one of the greatest teams ever. So you obviously were able to harness that light and share it with everybody. You know, you couldn't see the conflict. You just kind of saw the choreography and the the intense difficulty. I mean, you guys went for some stuff. I know probably in the the shows you probably dialed that back a bit, as you kind of have to do, depending on what the what the stage is and what your limitations of what you can do. But could you talk a little bit about how you guys worked on those routines and the the Relationship with the music and who kind of led what and was it a kind of a give and take? Would love to hear that process.
0: A great question. Uh, you know, I wish I could give Chip and Joe more credit for even more things that they did. Uh, so I'm enjoying this right now, recounting some of the absolute critical mass that they that they comprise. You know, for me, both in life, they became my closest friends in life. So, Chip. Really helped. Uh, Chip was good at getting us to stretch. He would set aside time, stretch, listen to some music. Of course, when we get to the part, you know, Joey would have all these music choices, but he was he I think I stifled him a little bit because I was playing more commercial music because it was an audience thing. But um, yeah, um, Joey was able to we talked about orchestrating before, you know, Joey's attention to detail and what have you. For our co-ops and what have you was incredible because now we're doing so, you know, the difference between two and three is just incredible, as you already know. Now, Chip and I would actually, Joe could take a combo of a Chip Crazy combo and build the third into that and it would just look totally different. I mean, he's very good at that. Music, you know, if you remember, we didn't have a lot of different songs that we played to we played to this, whatever we were touring to at the time i think we had maybe three or four tracks in the season so that's not a lot of variety and i know joe was well, he was not all that stoked about that he just went with it uh but the choreography you guys got to remember i don't care how you want to say it i appreciate it but you know I, crazy is the weak link here you know crazy is the you know, you got to understand how this works. And you're talking about them. if you're trying to keep things symmetrical then you have to give respect to those those three points. And those guys had to work harder, I believe, to make up, especially in competition, you know, speaking to this really to make up for, I believe I just wasn't that good of a player. Honestly, I had some great moves. It felt like when the time's right. But I also like I think I have all of the top 10 worst drops in competition history all those videos are mine i don't know if you've seen them but <laughs> i <laughs> was,
1: don't know crazy you, you have some pretty you have some pretty <laughs> sick moves dude come on
0: uh, it's funny it's the uh, yeah for a time was, you know our rating was a 22 the bud light team and chip and joey and crazy and we were rated a 22 that's two tens and a two uh, Look at. Uh,
1: I don't know, man. I, I I think I saw a couple eights or nines at least by you in the in the days.
2: Some of those videos, you have rubber hips. Somehow, your legs just like turns upside down and goes all the way forward, and you can catch those bad attitudes when they are just should not be catchable.
0: I don't remember what happens after you catch it.
1: Dude, you were the king of saves, man. You you really did. You were the man with the rubber hips and the king of saves. It was just, oh, like, incredible. And, of course, you've got, you know, the the tooth delay, the best tooth delay in the history of the game. You know, nobody will ever come close to that. You were the man great. with that.
0: Funny stuff. Thank you for saying that. Hey, another thing comes to mind. Uh, when the big, you know, the like, U.S. Open was a very much targeted event, obviously. Uh, and then... Of course, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the Bud Light U.S. Open was, you know, that was worked out through our budget. That was originally worked out through the Bud Light team's budget. So this was uh, an elective uh, project. And uh, Stork, you know, just absolutely key operator in anything he does or takes on. But Dan and uh, Mangone and Stork Roddick, we went down to Triangle Distributing, worked all this out before we even contacted St. Louis. That was a real dream relationship too with uh, triangle for so many years and then later pasano distributing you know they picked up wintertime open for quite a few years that was the bud light wintertime open so you know, just some thanks back to ab for allowing us to kind of peel off some here and we're not talking about two or three hundred dollars you know these were tens and tens of thousands of dollars sometimes coming out of our budget but it was done in this really proactive way i'm so glad i'm i'm uh you know, we couldn't, we couldn't have worked as many days to spend it all. So it just seemed, you know, seemed like the right thing to do. It's pretty amazing. I
2: didn't realize that Bud Light was a sponsor of so many events. That's
0: yeah, anything, uh, any, everything after June of 82, um, they were real, real kind about showing support.
1: You know, speaking of those of those years, you guys as a team and other teams, I mean, this was kind of the heyday of really top tier teams because you guys got you guys, you got. Uh, the Coloradicals, you got the Bayou Blasters, you got Side Out, you got, you know, whoever the V-Bros are picking up. I mean, this was like high level, top shelf stuff. So do you remember like any kind of uh, rivalry or, or any kind of like, you know, what was that competitive scene like when it was so important for everybody to win that title to be able to say to your sponsor, whoever, you know, hey, we're world champs.
0: Yeah, I think there was quite a bit of like traversing rivalries. Not all because of what happened on the field, though. Um, I don't think the Bud Light team had any particular group or player or team that we felt any kind of adverse. See, what's the word? Any distension of any type like that. I know that we would like to outplay certain single efforts. I think that a lot of players have done this over the years. You know, if I do my part, remember, like we're dissecting. Okay, now if you can, if you work your stuff, that's going to probably cancel out that. If this, we nail this, right that, then this part of ours is better than that. And that was the only mathematic I think where we were actually aligning, uh, or I was told to align to to watch. So uh, Joey would uh, not all the time, but I remember it was suggested that we not watch anybody play. In our pool, so and I learned why later. Listen, Joey and Chip are just—I uh, can't give enough credit to how they actually were the—you uh, know—they are the the molten core for me. And I felt I was basically—I felt sometimes even just like uh, like we had three wheels, but we rolled heavy, man. Somehow it would balance balance things out. But I was really nervous in competition. I, it's different from shows. I don't know why I think it was because of this different space. Um, that's why in stadium shows I used to dumb my stuff down. You had mentioned do you make things do you kinda of choreograph things easier when you're a show. We did not because that was you know, this was all based on being prepped for a competition, was having some polishing when we're at work, we're polishing for competition whenever it comes. So your team opened for a lot of
2: major rock bands. So can you name a few and then tell us who was your favorite one to open for?
0: Well, we were big fans of Stevie Ray. I go to that immediately because we were we were playing to him, we were really digging it before uh, we got to meet. It was it turned out to be a really big positive force for us, too. He gave me my announcing break. and uh, I know joey and and he had had some chats occasionally uh, about guitar stuff. I know Chip put number one around his neck one time. That was great. I, I turned around and saw number one around Chip's neck, and I, I think I left. I think I just go, this is not going to be good. You know, imagining him just going over there, opening the case and getting it out. I imagine that because he's done stuff like that before. But So
1: wait, when you say he got number one, you mean he went and pulled out Stevie Ray's guitar? Yeah.
0: yeah oh, no. the, uh, his, his, uh, <laughs> I didn't understand <laughs> that. Oh, my, oh God. my God. I didn't know, though, that he had already been... That Renee, Steve's guitar tech, had already been there. And Chip said, Can I hold it? And Renee pulled it out. And so. um, Well,
2: it's interesting. It sounds like you didn't just open for the bands. It sounds like you
0: really got to know them. Well, I don't know about really got to know, but we were just uh, together a lot in really weird situations like, you know, airplanes or small buses or big buses or, I mean, crazy shit along the way, man. Uh, um, Here's what it's like, you know. You can't fake being friends with someone, and I can smell that kind of stuff, you know, from a distance uh, when people are faking it. And we noticed that more than a couple of people in the group here just absolutely dug the freestyle. They were just tripping on it, and they were just like, we look around, we get practice sometimes when they're setting up. So that's a lot of trust right there. Just someone letting, you know, they trust you to not bop them in the head or something, and then they have to leave their dream job little things like that mean a lot if you're around each other day to day but um when you are in this situation like entertainers you know you, there's the audience draw there's also an audience like there's a weight on you when you're a performer and that's the weight of your concern for their being entertained. That's how much you care about making it a good performance, you know, yourself. That's 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 your inner self. So Steve, if you if you watch him, whether he was practicing or performing, you know, he just cared so much, was just so passionate about every single note that came from him outward that this is where Joey started, you know, really telling us about feel it. And you know, Craze, don't force it. Um, calm down chip you know we had chip would get really nervous at the gigs but he was loose as hell at the competition you know how do you figure that out i don't know but i like the strain i think we were both under a lot of strain uh in those days i remember this one time oh it was uh oh chip was hurt man it was uh richie smiths was our alternate uh for more than a couple of years it's the wichita falls thing is last minute but he you know he obviously he hopped on but it was like a Fourth of July gig, and um, man, Stevie Ray—he was late, really late—and uh, and then your announcer, you know, I'm I'm down there to do the announcing too. There's no Stevie. Can anybody go back there and ask? Oh, I wouldn't if I were you. I would go. So I went. I went back and I knocked. You know, little camper truck at this gig, little camper thing, and I uh, I leaned in and, <laughs> and looked in i saw a couple fellas and steve's on the sofa a couple fellas looking at me over a uh well they were busy really busy doing all uh participating at having fun together and that's you know that's all i should say so i go hey uh you guys let us know just love you know if there's any if you want to um what do you think 10 minutes something like that they were asking hope you're doing good okay I got out of there, and then the the guy Skip he opened it up says, "Yeah, man, we'll be right out here, but hey, don't come back here like that." And you know, I learned the hard way. And uh, he came out, just tore it up.
1: Wow, amazing to hear some of the stories of what it's like to open up for somebody like Stevie Ray Vaughan doing, you know, a frisbee tour. That's really amazing.
2: Yeah, no kidding. And just imagine there were so many vans that they opened for. So. During the interview, I asked him to list the bands, and I don't think he quite got into the list. But afterwards, he sent us a list. And this is probably not even comprehensive, but uh, it's got names on it like Toto, Heart, Molly Hatchet, Vixen, Crowded House, Starship. Blue Oyster Cult. The list is huge. Actually, I'll post this list up with the podcast episode on the site, but the list is huge. So imagine all the other stories that he's got that are just like that one.
1: And what's cool is that we do have more stories to share in some upcoming episodes. So uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing that with everyone out there. And on that note, I will talk to you next time.
2: Talk to you next time.